I want to start by doing something that may be relieving to some of you. Okay. All right. Check, see what time it is. Um, and I'm, I want to tell you a story. This story is from the Christmas of 2005. Jenny, my wife, in case you don't know, uh, was pregnant with our firstborn, and she was days away from her due date. We were ready at any time to go to the hospital. Christmas Eve was, we were excited, we were anticipating the birth of our first child, and Jenny's mom and dad gave us a great gift that year. We had just moved, and for the first time, we lived in a house that we could call our own. I mean, the bank owned it, but we still called it our own, right? And uh, they gave us a dishwasher. More accurately, they gave us money to get a dishwasher. So we bought a dishwasher, got it home, and we figured out that it didn't fit our house. So on Christmas Eve, we were going to take our dishwasher back. So we borrowed a pickup truck from a guy on the church, in the church, and we started driving. We lived in Frankfurt, Indiana, and we're going to go up Interstate 65 to go to Lafayette, Indiana, where we could take our dishwasher back. So we had the dishwasher, we're taking off, we're getting onto the interstate, starting to pick up speed, and I looked in my rearview mirror, and I saw the box starting to lift. Everything kind of went in slow motion as the, the box seemed to float out of the, out of the, the tail, and it started bouncing on the interstate. I saw a big semi heading full steam right towards this washing machine. And I watched again, slow motion. Bounce, bounce. And right before the semi could crush our dishwasher, somehow the dishwasher veered off to the side. So we pulled over, went back to go get the dishwasher. And as you can imagine... It was not exactly in condition where we could take it back. <laughs> we didn't think that there's anything that we could say to be like, oh, yeah. So we loaded our dishwasher back into our truck. Very slowly, with the hazard lights on, we headed back for home. Now, we were, I don't know, maybe five miles away from home at this point. Point. But I will have to tell you, it seemed like hours as we drove slowly because it was a silent ride, not a holy ride. All was not calm. We were in a fight. Jenny was mad at the dummy who didn't strap the dishwasher down and ruined. And I was mad at the world for not figuring things out and for losing our main Christmas gift that year and ruining Christmas in my mind. So, welcome to the most wonderful time of the year, right? It is the most wonderful time of the year, right? During this time... Tiny tots will have their eyes all aglow, right? As they, they dream of what's going to happen. 
Uh, there's a happy feeling that we'll experience that nothing in the world can buy when we pass around the coffee and the pumpkin pie. Uh, we'll have these dreams, these visions and dreams of sugar plums dancing in our heads about the, the ideal Christmas that we all hope to have. Maybe, but probably not. It's early enough that some of us are still hoping for the ideal Christmas. But at some point, the dishwasher might fall out of the back of the truck. It might. And just so you know, that those tiny tots, their eyes might be aglow, not because they're happy, but because they're filled with rage and throwing a temper tantrum. And that happy feeling that you have when you're passing around the coffee and the pumpkin pie might change a little bit when all that gets spilled on your brand new carpet or a couch or whatever, right? And, and maybe those visions of sugar plums dancing in your head might just be really not a dream but a nightmare about all the things you still have to do, the things that you have to bake, the gifts that you have to by and feeling like there's way more to do than what you can do that you have either the energy or the money for or the bandwidth. And we haven't even covered the hard things yet, the relationships. Because another thing with the ideal Christmas is we usually plan on, or we, we have this vision, a lot of us, of what everybody else in our family should do. Spoiler alert, they won't. They won't do what they should. And, and, and we deal with these tensions. We deal with these problems. We kind of navigate different people throwing different ideas that are dumb or that are selfish or why, why this person doesn't understand this. And there can be these problems. Maybe for some of you, you wish that you were full of problems still and, and your Christmases have gotten lonely. They've gotten too quiet and maybe Christmas is a, is a season, just a, a reminder of things that have been lost or maybe people who have been lost. And it can get really hard. So I'm not try, trying to be the Grinch this morning and talk about Christmas is bad, blah, blah, blah. But in my experience, I found that it, sometimes if we have too tight a grasp on the ideal Christmas, it can really set us up for some a lot of frustration and disappointment and unmet expectations. So what we're looking at today in the Christmas story is we're looking for hope. And hope for regular people. Not the people on social media who have the perfect pictures on Instagram or the perfect Facebook posts about their wonderful families and everything's going ideally. But hope for regular people. So we're going to start with Matthew. Oh, before I do, I think I've got the wrong. Okay, yeah. Uh, we're going to start with Matthew 123. This is a prophecy that Matthew is, is using that's from like 700 years earlier by the prophet Isaiah. And he quotes this. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. Now that is a little bit confusing. If you're not real familiar with the Christmas story, uh, if, if you know it a little bit, like 
in, in America, we kind of have this idea. It's out there. And maybe it seems like, uh, wasn't, there's a story about a virgin giving birth, but I thought the, the, the child's name was Jesus. Right? So it can get a little bit confusing here. But we're just going to say here, Emmanuel is another name for Jesus. It's a description of what Jesus represents to us. God with us. I have a question for you this morning. Who is God to you? What image of God do you have? If you had to try to describe to somebody else, like, who is God to me, what would you say? I had a spiritual, I was meeting with a spiritual advisor, and she asked me to ponder this question. So I pondered it. And, and as I did, I realized that my early image of God was largely a God who is great, a God who is good in the sense of morally good and perfect, a God who, who gets it right, a God who, who, again, moral, a God who does what is good. And with that, I felt some expectation, some pressure. Like, I really hoped when I, when I decided to follow Jesus at 15, I really hoped that I could, I could get to know God in the sense that I could really live a kind of life that would be pleasing to him and reflecting. But one of the things about that is that it seemed like the more I tried, and I tried, and I tried to get it just right, but I always came up short. And I think what? One of the consequences for me of that is that, to me, when I was when I was processing, God often feels distant to me. A lot of times, God feels distant. God is great. God, God, so much better than me. God is the one as a standard that I'm chasing that I can't get up to, and God feels distant, far off. That image of God is so different from Emmanuel. Would you agree? God with us. So, uh, what's the problem? One of the, one of the bits of feedback that the spiritual advisor gave me, she said this. I think you're looking for a deeper knowing and a broadening of understanding. As she listened to me processing what I believed about God or the images of God that I had. And then she asked me what I thought about that. And I said, I'm kind of scared of the word broadening. And I, and I immediately quoted Jesus and said, Jesus said, narrow is the road. And it leads to life. And broad is the path that leads to destruction. And like everybody else, I don't want to be on a path that leads to destruction. But as I wrestled with what she was saying about a broadening of understanding, I think it was more God trying to stretch me. Now, this is probably a really bad idea because I just decided to do this last second this morning. <laughs> so don't read too much into this. But I got a text from a friend yesterday, a fellow pastor. And hopefully we have that slide. Do we have that slide up there, the text from a friend? I don't know if you can read this, but the cup is a picture of Santa. And it says, you're all naughty. And then it says Romans 3, 10 through 12. Now... The idea was, which grumpy pastor should we send this to? And he might have been thinking me. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but 
anyway, I thought this was hilarious, so don't read too much into it. But, but this is pretty broad, isn't it? Everybody's on the naughty list, right? You're all naughty. So, again, don't read too much into this. But as we wrestle with what it means to, to have a broadening of understanding of God and, and Jesus and why he, com- why he came, uh, maybe, maybe this will be helpful and maybe not. Let's keep going with that Christmas story. Luke 2, 8 through 10 says this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord shone around, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news. When God sent his messengers to announce the coming of Jesus, he chose shepherds living out in their in their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, some, some scholars, this is debatable, some scholars speculate that maybe the shepherds didn't have the greatest relationship with religious leaders. That maybe because some of that is because they would miss synagogue, or they would, we might call it church, but they would miss their services due to work. And there were parts of the law that due to their job, they would say that they couldn't keep. So that's one idea, whether or not that that is true, one of the things that we can say is, at the very least, these are guys working the night shift. These are people out. They're regular people. And when God chose to send that message, he didn't choose people who'd studied the Bible forever and knew everything about it. He didn't choose the priests. He didn't choose kings or relig- uh, religious or political leaders or the wealthy or impressive. He made the declarations to people working the night shift. And that's where the good news first went to. Let's move on to Matthew 2, 1 through 2, and introduce a couple other characters. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, sometimes we've translated Magi as wise men. Other possible translations would be astrologers. I know that sounds really bad, right? Or magicians. So wise, wise men is sort of a cleaning up of the language to make them seem more in line with the Bible, right? Or, or the expectations of the day. One scholar named Paul Meyer said, whatever their origin, origin, he's talking about the Magi, the visit of Eastern sages was of great significance for later Christianity. The wise men, there's the nice term, right? The wise men were pagans. In other words, they didn't follow Yahweh, the God of the Bible. They were pagans, not Hebrews. And the fact that Gentile magi performed the same adoration as Jewish shepherds symbolized the universal outreach for future Christianity. It's pretty broad. That may be a little troubling, but... uh, this might be even more troubling. Matthew starts the Christmas story by giving us Jesus' family background. And he highlights the lowlights. Kind of like the opposite of social media, right? Where we highlight the highlights. But he highlights some of the lowlights. So we'll, we'll just briefly touch on that. Matthew 1.3. This is the family of Jesus. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. 
If you have time, you might want to read Genesis 38. It tells a brutal story that includes all kinds of betrayal, hypocrisy, cruel self-righteousness, prostitution. We could say a lot about it, but we're not going to get into the sordid details. But Matthew highlights that low life, low life. Matthew 1.5 says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Rahab famously was a foreign prostitute who is honored here. And she's not just honored in the, the story of Christmas, but in Hebrew, she's actually honored as a person of faith. Scandalous. Ruth, also a foreign person. She was a Moabite. And people from Israel did not like Moabites. They came from the wrong place. They had baggage. Next, Matthew 1.6. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Terrible story here. Some of you know it. But King David had summoned a woman who was married to a loyal friend. And the encounter that they had led to a child that was David's and not the real dad or the real husband. And David tried to set him up. He tried to... He tried to trick him, and it ended with David murdering his loyal friend, who was too loyal. He was loyal to a fault to David, and it led in David's murder of that guy to cover up the crime, and, and so he could look like a good That's troubling. Pastor Emily reminded me recently of a quote that she used in a sermon from the past from Rachel Held Evans that said, What makes the gospel offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. That's the Christmas story, too. It's offensive for who it lets in. It's too broad for a lot of us. So what do we do with this? Let's look at the good news that the, was proclaimed to the shepherds. Luke 2, 10 through 11 said this. This is the message. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You catch what the, what the great news, or good news, the great joy is? It will be for what people? Oh, that word's pretty broad, isn't it? Does that word make you uncomfortable? What if all includes somebody you don't like? What if all includes somebody who doesn't deserve it? What does all mean? It's a, it can be a troubling and offensive word. But what we hope everyone hears is that hope is for all people. If you're a self-righteous, judgmental person, there's hope for you. If you're a rebellious uh, person going out and living recklessly, that hope is for you. Wherever you've been, whatever you've come from, that hope is for all people. All. One of the lessons is I struggle with hope and the broadening and what that looks like. Is that as I, God is show, has been showing me that Christmas really is about God coming near people. And God's trying to show, I think, us that character, character is important, who we are, you know, even though we don't have it all right. But character is formed for people like me, not by effort, not exclusively by effort, but by encounter. It's encountering a God who is near, not just chasing after a God who is distant. But God came near. 
Christmas is the story of God coming near. It's the story of encounters with God. And what I sense, what I sense the Spirit of God saying is, you don't need to try harder. You just need God to be closer. And that is the message of the gospel. You don't need to try harder. You need to, God to be closer. I heard this incredible sermon this past week. It was in a group of people. And I'm go- we're going to put it on Facebook. Because I can't, I can't recreate it. But it's a pastor named Alistair Begg. He's a Scottish-American pastor. And part of the message, he said, is that the gospel and how we're saved... One of the wrong approaches is saying, I'm saved because I. I'm saved because I, or I'm okay because I. But he says it always starts with I'm saved because he. It starts with what God has done, not because of who we are, but because God has done. And it always starts when we can get away from ourselves and look to the cross. He tells a humorous story of the thief on the cross who was was crucified next to Jesus famously. And he he has an imaginary conversation in paradise with the angels and this thief. And they say, what are you doing here? And he says, I don't know. And they question him. Have you been baptized? No. Have you been to a Bible study? No. Do you go to church? No. Tell me about the the doctrine of justification. Can you explain it to me? No. And just pulling their hair out. Why are you here? And the thief responds, because the man on the middle cross said I could come. And that's it. He says we can come. His brother, James, wrote this. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. We don't have to wait for perfection to encounter God. Ideal's not real. It's a false image. But God is so real, he only shows up to real people. A real encounter with God, with a real person, can bring hope and change. So the application today is just simply believe and seek to have a space that invites God's nearness. It's awakening to the presence of God nearby. It's being aware of God at work among different people. So as we close out this message, I just want to invite you to quietly listen to this invitation from Jesus. This is from uh, Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my burden is light. At this point, the worship team is going to come up and lead us in some worship. We are going to postpone communion until next week. But that is our hope and prayer for all of us, is that we encounter the nearness of God. Again, as a reminder, if you want someone to listen to you, so you can see flesh and blood, someone who sees you, and listens and just will pray for you and support you. Uh, please, Jeannie, will you get your hand up? Right over here, and Alan, 
grab somebody and you can go somewhere else or you can come to the altars, whatever it is, but we want you to know that you are seen, that God is near, and that God is in the real.